0: Lord, you have promised that your word will never return to you void, but will always accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So I pray this morning, would you accomplish your purposes in each of our hearts, in each of our minds, in each of our lives? Would you help us to love Jesus more, to follow you more faithfully, with more trust and more love in our hearts, and to live as beloved children of God in a world that needs to see that so desperately. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was in college, which was a few years ago now, we won't say how many, I had a philosophy professor named Dr. Olive, and his personality was about as drab as his name implies. But I do remember one of his lectures very clearly, The class was Christian ethics and he was teaching us about how people develop their own sense of personal ethics. He told us a story about his family of origin and how his family had influenced his own personal ethics. One day when he was a young child, Dr. Olive learned a new word. And by new word, I mean one of the four letter kind. He happily proclaimed this new word in his parents' hearing. And I'm sure that the parents here can testify that time has a way of slowing down in such moments. Well, after the initial shock that his mom felt, she looked at him in horror and declared, "Don, olives do not say things like that. I remember in my notes drawing a little olive with stick arms and legs, with a speech bubble coming out of their mouth saying, olives do not say things like that. It was a great story that stuck with me, as you can tell even now. I'm sure some of you have family sayings or truisms when you were growing up as well. Mike referenced the Christmas Chronicles last week, and their family, they say, a Pierce always sees it through. In The Hunger Games, The Hunger Games has a new prequel movie, which is also a book. And in that movie, The Snow Family says over and over again, the snow always falls on top. Well, what were some of the family sayings that you had in your family? You can yell them out now. Yes, you can talk out loud in church. Blood is thicker than water. Oh, that's probably a common one. What else? You're gonna be stupid, you gotta to be tough. <laughs> what else? Say it again. Oh, okay. Uh, I think there's another version of that, right? Even a blind squirrel gets a nut every, every so often. Any others that stuck with you? Well, those are some, some good ones. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about the love and mercy that God has built into the Sabbath. And I think we see that love and mercy most clearly through the family relationships that we're able to enter into now through Jesus. Those relationships give us a new name, they redefine us, and they teach us a new way of being, a new way of being with God, with ourselves, and with one another. So let's dig into today's passage. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And my, I add, not just sons, but also daughters. Now, did you catch that? Not only has God, through Christ, adopted us into his forever family, but he also now gives us permission to call him by the most intimate of names, Abba, Father. Philip Yancey puts it this way. This is the kind of shocking accessibility conveyed in Jesus' word, Abba. God may be the sovereign Lord of the universe, but through his son, God has made himself as approachable as any doting human father. Have you ever considered God as a doting father? In the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2, at the conclusion of each day, God looks at everything that he's made and he says, wow, what I made is good. Now that's a paraphrase, of course. But when God made man and woman on the sixth day, at the conclusion of that day, he said something different. He looked at his new children and he said, wowee, those perfect little people, they're not just good, they're really good. Don't those sound like the kind of words that a doting father would say when he meets his new child for the first time? How might that change the way that you practice Sabbath? If God is your doting father, if he is one who is inclined to find favor rather than fault, if he is one who draws near to you instead of pushing you away? If he's one who delights to give you what you need, instead of criticizing you for having needs? If all of those things are true, might that change the way that you practice Sabbath? I think it gives us a greater sense of freedom. Rather than approaching Sabbath as a have to, like Mike said last week, we can approach Sabbath as a get to. When I'm able to trust in God as a merciful, kind, and lavish Father, I'm freed up to trust Him with my to do list, to believe that He truly does want me to experience His love and His joy through the Sabbath. Now, the first part of that passage that we read in Galatians focuses on the new family relationship that we have with God, our now Abba Father. But the second part of the passage focuses on our new family relationships with one another. If we're sons and daughters, then we're also now what? Heirs, but also, how do we relate to each other? You're now my brother and sister, yes. Which means that not only do we have a generous and kind-hearted Heavenly Father, But we also now have a great big bunch of siblings who also share our heavenly DNA, which means that we get to experience God's grace on the Sabbath by spending time with him and by spending time with one another. We see these same truths expressed in Romans 8, 15 through 16. Listen to how Paul describes our family relationships. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Not only are we heirs of God, but we are co-heirs with one another. We are all promised the same love, the same care, and the same provision of God. And we might just need to remind each other of that from time to time. There's a story that comes from Spain of a father and son who had become estranged. The son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. Finally, in a last ditch effort, The father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up, looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. It's from a publication called Bits and Pieces. Our world is filled with Pacos. Our world is filled with those who don't yet know the love and forgiveness of an Abba Father God. It's also filled with brothers and sisters who are living as if they are orphans, acting as if all depends on them, that the only resources they have are those that they earn themselves and that the meager amount they have is not enough to share. Friends, this is not how Abba Father intends for his children to live. I'm wondering what you would think if you met the children of Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos and found out that they were working 80 hours a week just to get by. What if you also found out that their wealthy fathers had offered them all the help that they needed, but they had said no? What if I also told you that they believed their fathers would love them more somehow if they just worked Harder. What if they truly believed that their father's love and kindness to them was conditioned on how long and hard and unhappily they worked? You'd say that's crazy, right? You'd urge them to take a break, to ask their fathers for the help that he'd promised, and to accept it as a reasonable response. You tell them that their fathers won't love them anymore based on the number of hours they work a week or how much they accomplish. You'd encourage them to live as true children of their extravagant, generous, and very well resourced fathers. Well, what if that someone was you? Might you be the child of an insanely wealthy and powerful father who is working yourself to the bone? to earn his love, his forgiveness, and his kindness. If you're not practicing Sabbath in your life, it might be because you've unknowingly developed a wrong view of your Abba Father. Or you might have just forgotten what he's really like. Maybe it's been too long since you visited with him. Or maybe when you do, you just talk the whole time. And you don't take the time to listen to him, to really listen to his heart. Well, here's some ways you might know if you're living like an orphan. You'd rather do it yourself than ask for God's help. You must be strong at all times. You can't let your guard down. You're always suspicious of the motives of others. You feel like you can't depend on anyone but yourself. You feel like you have to earn God's love and forgiveness. You believe that his love for you is dependent on your performance and will wax and wane according to your performance. You have a hard time forgiving others or showing them grace. You resource guard and you hoard, unconvinced that you'll ever have enough. Knowing and remembering the heart of our Abba Father frees us up to experience his love and mercy through the Sabbath. It reminds us that we don't have to perform. We don't have to seek perfection. We don't have to achieve this or attain that. We just have to be who we already are through Christ and then enjoy our loving Father's provision. Rich Volotis puts it this way, A little bit in Jesus' hands can go a long way. I'm going to read that one more time. A little bit in Jesus' hands can go a long way. Like the mustard seed, God can take even the smallest amount of our faith and trust in him and his character, and he can multiply it far more than we can imagine Many years ago, I went to a regional retreat for BSF leaders. In case you don't know the organization, BSF stands for Bible Study Fellowship. It's a worldwide ministry that teaches thousands of men, women, and children how to study the Bible. The man who was head of BSF at the time shared with us about how he had started in the Bible study. A friend had asked him about five or six times to come to class with him. Finally, on that last invitation, he said, okay, okay, I'll come. At first, he wouldn't do any of the lesson at home. Instead, he would arrive to class 15 minutes early, he would sit in his pickup truck, and he would answer as many of the lesson questions as he could in that 15 minutes. Over time, though, that 15 minutes became 20. And that 20 minutes became 30. And that 30 minutes became a couple days a week of at-home study in God's word. Eventually, he ended up spending a regular daily time in God's word. And it changed him. Jesus took his little that he was willing to give and he made it go a long way. It wasn't out of duty or to earn God's favor that his obedience increased. Rather, it was the direct result of spending concentrated time with his loving Abba Father. Starting a Sabbath rhythm does not have to mean instant perfection. It's giving God just a little bit and then letting him grow it. Then giving him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. As we begin to trust our Father with our time, our worries, our work, and our to-dos, we will begin to see his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, and his provision, which will allow us to trust him more the next time a trial or hardship comes. Now, to help get you started in these Sabbath rhythms, Mike and I created a postcard that you'll find in your bulletin. It has some really practical tips and how to's for getting started because we know it's difficult to start a new thing. Maybe you could try just one of these this week. And then maybe one more the following week. And then maybe later in January you could do one more. Little by little, You can incorporate these Sabbath rhythms into your regular rhythm of life. Now that sounds pretty doable, right? Doesn't that sound like the kind of love, the kind of relationship, the kind of rest that you've been longing to know and experience? There's a beautiful song that I want to end us with that is called The Gospel is Rest. I want to read some of the words of the song to you. Lord, I've got the world upon my shoulders, but you've been saying, child, put it down. I prayed and prayed that you would take my burden, but you kept saying, child, put it down. Maybe I'm addicted to the worry. Maybe I'm a slave to holding on. Help me put it down. Help me put it down. I've heard it said, the gospel is rest, and oh, how I need it. Say it again until I believe it. Oh, how I need it. Lord, you took the world upon your shoulders, and now all I have to do is put it down. I'm living like some weary beast of burden, and you keep saying, Child, put it down. The gospel truly is rest because the gospel is Jesus. He's come to set us free from the rat race, to set us free from keeping up with the Joneses, to set us free from our own impossible standards. He's come to invite us to know his heavenly father, to be adopted into his beautiful family, and to be called by a new name. If our new family had a motto, it would probably be something like this. God's children don't have to live like orphans. The last verse of our passage reads, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, you have been called a beloved child of a good, good Abba Father. He bought you, he bought your redemption at a great price the price of his own true son, Jesus. You now have a place in God's forever home. You are an heir of an unshakable, incalculable kingdom. And you have brothers and sisters to cheer you on every day. God's children don't live like orphans. So this Christmas, why would you? Your Father has given you more gifts than you could ever count. Won't you unwrap the gift of Sabbath, his Sabbath rest this season, and enjoy the love and peace that we can find when we draw near to Jesus? Let's pray. Oh God, you've given us too many gifts to count, but the very best of them is Jesus. Thank you that through him, we can draw near to you. We can crawl into your lap, Abba Father, and lean our heads on your unsearchable, massive chest and just rest like little children, not wondering where our next meal will come from, not worried about tomorrow's to-dos. We can just rest. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us that great gift, that you bought it for us at the price of your own life. Help us to enjoy that gift, to open it often, to enjoy it well, and to know our Abba Father intimately. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Jesus is not just the king. He is also our brother. And because he has given his very own life for us, we are able now to call God, Abba, Father. So I pray this week that you would lean into his love, that you would go and share it with all those who are still orphans. May he empower you by his Holy Spirit to live as true children. Go now in his peace, amen.